Hi guys, welcome to Glitch in the Code. I'm here with Jay Dyer. He is the author of some incredible books. Um, he is the Esoteric Hollywood, um, Volumes 1 and 2. And the amount of work that Jay's done on his website is amazing. Now, we were just talking before we um, started recording about us in the UK being quite far behind, apart from someone like David Icke. Um, Jay, what I really wanted to ask you, really, was what was the first moment that you started to realise that the world really isn't the way that you've been taught to believe it is? The first moment I started to realize that was probably when I was about uh, 18, uh, maybe in high school, but particularly around age 18, I started reading some books about cults. And I started noticing that cults had a, had a pretty scientific method, actually, for how they can manipulate people, how they can get them to accept things that are you know, commonsensically, obviously not true, uh, but, but with the power of, you know, social engineering, the power of all kinds of, uh, techniques, cults are able to get people to believe the craziest things imaginable. And, uh, that kind of opened me up to the possibility that, well, if this is true of these weird cults that we all know about from, you know, TV, the people, the, the media covered heaven's gate back in the nineties, you know, nonstop mm. when that was happening, I started thinking, well, maybe what if that was true on a larger scale? What if, what if we are we are all <laughs> kind of in a big, big cult, uh, and you know we're in the process of of leaving that cult? Hopefully, what if there's a way out of it? Is that even possible? Uh, so that's where I would say it began was was reading I don't know three or four books that just kind of dealt with those, those weird cults. I think you've, what you've hit on there is incredible because. That the psychology of cultism. I mean, um, things like AA. I mean, myself, I went to AA for a little while, um, just to kind of see how it was, and it, it seemed to me like the twelve-step program, whether you believe in it or not, it seemed to have a cult-like mm-hmm. ways of mind control. It's the stripping right. down. Um, is it? Do you see the the patterns in in the way, in the work that you do in different areas, maybe like the music industry, um, politics, religion? There, there seems to be patterns of of the outcome, the conditioning of a person. Absolutely. No, that's, that's the thing is that you start to realize there is a pattern to it. Uh, the, the military is another great example of this. Uh, my dad was in the military, so I knew a little bit about how boot camp, what, what that was used to do, how that works to break the person down and to rebuild them into the image of what the military wants. They want a killing machine. They're going to break you down and turn you into a killing machine. And what is that? But mind control in the same way, not just cults, but really modernity as a whole, society as a whole is a giant cult. This is something I've been saying for a long time. And it's almost like a bunch of little cults within a big cult. Uh, So you could have people who worship America and Americanism. That could be a, a form of cult. And they feel like, you know, God has ordained them to spread uh, America and Americanism to the whole planet. That's kind of the basis of a lot of the foreign policy, for example. Um, and it doesn't really matter what – I mean, everybody has this kind of a, of a perspective whether they want to or not. That's another aspect of what I cover at my site is how people have paradigms, they have worldviews, and no matter what – who we are, we intentionally believe uh, – we, we, we have presuppos- presuppositions that we want to spread to the rest of the world, whether we want to or not. So we're all, in a way, 
religious. We're fundamentally believers in some kind of a, of a system, whether we know it or not, and whether we, we are consistent with our presuppositions or not. Um, so not too long after I read some of those books on cults, I started reading some books on philosophy. I decided that that's the path I would take in college. So uh, there were pros and cons to that. I finally realized that the academic system uh, is not favorable to people who are independent thinkers, people who don't want to go along with uh, you know what the the power structure teaches and what they mandate for academia because it's actually a giant brainwashing system as well. It was actually the universities that participated, you know, for the most part in the MK Ultra mm. experiments. It wasn't some secret underground base somewhere. It was dozens and dozens of uh, U.S. universities. So if you want MK Ultra, uh, it's not you know mind control assassins in an underground base. It's the professor at the local university. And I started realizing that, too. I read some of the earliest books I read uh, that, that dealt with conspiracy as I started branching out from these other topics, from cults to philosophy, then to kind of conspiracy-related stuff, American history, CIA-type history. Started studying that stuff in college. Uh, you start to realize, hey, there's, some, there's something about this system that is particularly pernicious, uh, and, and they all have the same patterns, as you noted. Do you, does it make you feel, well, once you start to look into these things, does it make you feel a little bit lonely on your own, as if you can't talk to other people once you start to understand this stuff? The people that you used to be friends with, you have to ch you change your friend circle. Do you feel a little bit, it isolates you a bit, because you can't relate, you can't talk to these, th these things about to people that don't look into them. So you'll be judged. Do you feel like you have to keep, you kind of secluded yourself within the work? It is alienating uh, for sure. There's no no doubt about that because uh, you know you, <clears throat> you're delving into topics that most people just simply don't want to delve into. So it's not really that necessarily it's crazy. Uh, but even for example, let's say you're just studying ph philosophy, you're not looking at anything conspiratorial. You know, 95% of the population has no knowledge of philosophy and isn't interested. <laughs> they don't yeah. care what what you read in Plato. Uh, they're not interested in Aristotle or Hegel. So just the topics and the subject matter itself is alienating in that sense. But when you really get into the the difficulties of challenging people's paradigms and you learn very quickly that even if you didn't mean to challenge people's paradigms, if you start questioning this or that religious tradition that you were raised in, if you start questioning um, you know, the system of Americanism, the presuppositions of America – what it stands for, uh, all yeah, all those things are certainly um, not welcomed. If you you know if you're if you're going the route of studying philosophy, questioning things, so it is alienating. You can lose yourself in the work. But one thing that Patrick Henning said a um, long time ago that I, I found to be accurate was that you go through phases. So you go through phases of kind of waking up and learning these things, and there's a there's a phase where it is really difficult, really. Uh, lonely and alienating perhaps uh, but then eventually you, you get over that and you can process it you can take it in uh, you actually you know you're stronger from having maybe lost some of the attachments that you had some of the people that you thought were friends or whatever you, you become a stronger person I think I think you're right uh, you, you've become more self-sufficient and self-reliant right. um, I'm quite good friends with uh, Gareth Ike which is David Ike's son and um, we speak a lot about this and he said the only way that I, he kind of balances it out is that he has to learn how to split 
wanting to help the world and still care about Derby County, his football team, winning on a Sunday afternoon. And he has to learn a balance between the two, just find the fine lines. You find that you have to work at kind of living in the world and doing things that kind of might feel like you're wasting your time. Uh, I did. I certainly felt that way before I quit grad school and started doing what I do full time. So before the doing this full time, yes, it was it was a uh, situation where I would, you know, kind of on the side, research all these topics, uh, you know, maybe go to events or whatever. Um, and then while I was at school or at my normal job, uh, yeah, you, you definitely have to, um, you know, separate these things out, put them in their own little box, compartmentalize them, I guess. Uh, but then, then when I started doing it full time, I quit my wage slave job and, uh, started seeing if I could, uh, do what I do now full time. And, and it, you know, took off pretty quick. Um, thankfully was able to do it. And then it becomes a, a new challenge. It becomes a challenge of, well, do I, do I want this to, to dominate my life? And then it becomes a question of balancing, you know, kind of the business side of things and making a living, um, choosing, you know, what events to do or not do. And so it's a whole new set of challenges that come along, but, uh, it's not anymore. Now it's more so about balancing out which subject matters I want to cover because, uh, I have, it's, it's kind of a weird thing where there's three different audiences. One of the audiences is interested in philosophy. One of the audiences might be interested in movie uh, analyses and another audience might be interested in, you know, something else that I talk about. So, so now it's a different way of, of kind of, boxing things up and compartmentalizing do you think is there one particular um area of that you're passionate about right now that you're getting into that something's piquing your interest right now actually i'm i'm enjoying the challenge of trying to do more uh silly stuff uh, because i think there's an aspect where we have to be kind of lighthearted and comedic about the stuff that we yeah. deal with because it's so dark and it can really kind of darken your mind and get you in a dark place. So I think it's helpful to be comedic and silly about things at times. Uh, so, and I've always had that side of my personality. I used to, you know, kind of do improv and theater and all that. Uh, so, so yeah, so I'm enjoying incorporating more of the, the satirical aspects uh, to what I do. I think it's really good and it's really needed as well. Um, I, I really do think you can lose yourself in, in this yes, um, yeah. so easily in the darkness of it. And it is dark. And it's when you get into the deeper, deep, deep levels and it comes back and everything's turning down that yeah. alley of child right. abuse keeps popping up. And you're thinking, how much do I really want to look down this rabbit hole, if you, if sure. you want to call it that? And especially when it comes to things like that. Um, when you, you've got all of this, this Michael Jackson documentary coming out and the connections to Oprah and Harvey Weinstein mm. and Dave Geffen, and you start to look into the, all these connections and you think, wow, how, how much do I really want to know? So humour is massive. I think someone like uh, um, Ricky Gervais has done a really good job of finding a fine line mm -hmm. in his work between dark humour. Um, um, yeah, dark, the dark sense of humour really helps. Do you find that? I think so. Um, there isn't an, an aspect of dark satire to a lot of the skits and goofy stuff that I've been putting out. And a lot of the podcasts we've been doing have been a little more comedic lately. And um, I'm enjoying it. Uh, people seem to be enjoying it. So, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, the weird part, too, about doing this is that you, you don't it's not planned out. You don't know what to expect. Mm. So, you know, two years ago, I didn't 
had no idea I'd be doing this. So, so who knows what's going to be happening in the next two years. But, um, aside from the, the sort of satirical comedic uh, aspect of things, uh, I've tried to be, I've tried to incorporate more of the serious philosophy lately as well at the same time. So it's, it's a really weird mix. I don't know. Uh, I don't think that anybody's really, well, I mean, you, everybody's kind of new to, who, who, nobody was a YouTuber 15 years ago. <laughs> that didn't exist. You know, nobody was making a living doing that 15 years ago. But here we are. Now there's live streaming. Now there's, you know, all these different means by which a, a person could potentially make a living. And uh, I don't know. It's just a weird, wacky world that we're in. It's a very strange time, isn't it? It's a very kind of convoluted mm-hmm. time where you, you don't really know where you stand, um, especially in this sort of work. Um, is there a film or or, or some, that came out that really stands out to you that had um, esoteric Hollywood mm-hmm. symbolism that really stands out to you of one to watch for anyone who really has a little peak interest in this and is just new to it and thinks that none mm-hmm. of this happens? Well, the obvious one is certainly Eyes Wide Shut. Uh, everybody needs to start there because if you were a skeptic uh even the most skeptical skeptic who has seen the news of the last few years be it uk with savile and mm. be it the roman catholic church with its its countless sexual scandals uh or any of the other you know weird spheres of society that seems to be involved in this stuff you know kubrick it seems like was telling us this a long time ago and there's not really any denying that now and, you know, I, I think the weirdest part for me was, was, you know, growing up as a movie fan, I love, I love movies. I wanted to be in movies. That's all I cared about as a teenager. Um, I don't know, I, another one I would suggest is conspiracy theory, the Dick Donner movie, because yeah. I remember when I watched that, it stuck in my mind. Uh, and I thought that's weird. I, w- I wonder if any of those crazy conspiracies that Mel Gibson's into, I wonder if any of those are real, that would be crazy if they were. And then of course it turns out. You know, the plot of the movie is that he is a victim of MK Ultra. So, yeah. you know, there's a, an aspect of reality to that film. So that one kind of set me off. I put it, but I could have put it in the back of my mind thinking about, okay, Hollywood, MK Ultra. All right. Well, that was interesting. And I remember Jacob's Ladder, uh, the Adrian Lynn film, and, and some of those others that came out in the 90s kind of sat in the back of my head, just kind of fermenting back there. And when I was in undergrad, I had, come across some books that, that mentioned uh, conspiracy as it related to Hollywood, maybe in passing. And then I didn't, still didn't think too much about it. And I thought, well, I wonder if you could really go down that rabbit hole. And I remembered that I had a professor who was, who was really into Oliver Stone. And so we started watching some Oliver Stone films and his, I took some film classes at that time. And he said, why don't you dive into Stone? So I started watching, you know, all of, Oliver Stone's movies, and I realized, well, hey, you know, I, obviously I knew who Oliver Stone was, but I hadn't, you know, really dived into his whole canon of films. And I started realizing, man, he he's actually documenting all of these real world conspiracies. I wonder if there is an aspect of conspiracy that relates to Hollywood itself. Uh, so turns out, yes, uh, you know, the, the more I dove into that subject, and, and eventually you find out there's actually academic works just on that that topic right cia in hollywood by trisha jenkins operation mm-hmm. hollywood by donald robb uh, or david robb i can't remember what he's the editor of it but so there's a few books out there like that and i thought well those are academic nobody's going to be reading those except people who are you know professors or 
specialist in that subject. So why not try to look at this from a, a not just an academic standpoint, but also a wider scope subject of, of all of these different movies, what's real, what's fake, what about the symbolism in the films, try to tie all these different subjects together. So that's what I wanted to do in the book, but it really was kind of birthed out of just uh, undergraduate research, and that was birthed out of conspiracy theory and Eyes Wide Shut. It's amazing, isn't it? Because I, I did film and TV pr uh, production. I've got a degree, um, an honours degree in film and TV production. I was the same. I came out of uni wanting to be a film director, a dramatic film director, feature films. Mm -hmm. I quickly learned that the industry itself was the biggest story, and I didn't mm -hmm. want to be part of the industry, which all, which was another change into my world of thinking, oh my God, this is all I wanted to do, and now I can't feel, I don't want to get into that industry. Did you feel the same as sort of like, once you knew this stuff, it almost kind of ruined it for you? And you, you, you thought, well, if I need to get in that industry, what have I got to do to be part of that industry? And am I willing to do those things? Well, I think, yeah, I realized that when I was younger yeah. that, you know, I, I was, I did stand up uh, several times when I was 17, 18, uh, and that's kind of the road that I wanted to take was doing stand up, and it went it went well for being you know 17, 18 year old. Or, you know, most people aren't <laughs> willing to get up and do stand up yeah. when they're 17 in front of a you know public audience in New York. Um, so I did that multiple times and was going to Nashville pretty regularly where I where I lived to do it on the weekends, and uh, I realized that you know it's not just about the arts and it's not just about talent. I think what you're getting at is that's the, kind of the first thing you realize is that that's not how people necessarily are successful. I'm not saying that everybody that's successful isn't talented or a good artist. I'm just saying that there's all those other factors that you realize when you're younger, you didn't, you didn't take into mm -hmm. account. You, you think, Oh, it's just, if you're the best and you're spotted for having that talent and no, you realize there's actually all these other sort of uh, things that you do to have to compromise. Uh, and I think that that, that compromise aspect to it is what you, what you realize and what artists find so difficult because artists don't really want to compromise. They want to put out what they find to be, you know, sincere, authentic art. Uh, and then the power structure, you know, necessitates, you could say that you compromise and essentially become a, a tool of social engineering. So once you realize that, that it's a, the arts are a tool of social engineering, once you realize that, you know, Hey, Plato said this a long time ago about the arts it kind of deflates a lot of those teenage, you know, Hollywood type star fantasies that you had. Yeah, it does. And um, very, very quickly. And then you see all these TV programs, these X Factors or The Voice or um, these programs are, are giving them. A, it's not a chance to actually exist. And, and it's quite f scary to watch. We've just done a documentary on social media's um, impact on young people's mental health. And one of the things that we came across was this thing called microfame. Everybody wanted this microfame for a minute and they had these followers and these and, mm -hmm. and, and, and that's in itself addictive and a very, very strange thing to put on, especially like a 14 year old. Um, mm. How do you sort of feel that social media is actually making a difference and, and, and you, to young people wanting to be in Hollywood, wanting to be stars, whereas before even 30, 40 years ago, you would be a butcher or a baker and that would be great. Mm -hmm. Now you have to be something elevated. The pressure seems to be huge. Do you feel that pressure yourself to kind of go above and beyond just to be seen? 
It's a weird thing. Uh, I th- I know for a fact that it was done intentionally. You know, we've had yeah. different, uh, you know, social media executives come out in the last year or two and actually say all this stuff, which which I've been on a bunch of podcasts in the last five years saying that that's that's what social media was for. You know, if if you were in the alternative uh, media research realm, you knew what social media was for a long time ago, and. And there's no doubt, too, after studying, you know, Hollywood for for a long time, for at least a decade now, uh, that they they could tell that the narcissistic drive in each human being needed to be funneled into some means of control. And that's what social media is. It's it's the perfect weapon, the perfect way to take a person's ego drive and narcissism or temptation towards narcissism to turn everyone into it's basically a narcissism machine. That's yeah. what it is. And Hollywood is that model because everybody would like to be famous. Wouldn't they? Everybody would like to have uh, mass recognition and, and everybody thumb thumbs upping and all this kind of stuff. Um, and so that's exactly what they did. They said, let's, how can we take everybody and make them into an imaginary superstar? And if you watch the movie devil's advocate, the devil actually has a pr- very predictive, prophetic statement, the Al Pacino devil character, yeah. long before the internet was popular back in, you know, it was still new. This was a movie from, what, 98, 99. And the devil says essentially that that what's coming in the future is everybody being a star on the web. You're all going to have your, you know, 15 minutes of ego fame, what you're calling micro fame, with your own little bitty tiny empire and you're the god of that empire. And I think that's, that's always been a striking prophetic statement from the devil himself uh, and devil's advocate that I think accurately describes uh, social media. I think it's incredibly scary that that was put, that was in the film and that, that is what you're talking nearly 20, I'm sorry, 20 years ago now. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what's come out. And, and we can look back into films and they're dropping this stuff into films as we go. One thing I just wanted to point out is obviously the film, um, The Truman Show, um, it, in that film, the guy that was in the film, uh, the Jim Carrey character, was devastated that his life was on screen, and all of it was a lie. But it seems to be the other way around now that that we all want to be the, the star of the Truman Show. It seems to be back in like reversed. Yeah, I think I think reality TV played a role in that aspect of social engineering. Um, I mean, on, on one sense, reality TV was just about saving production cost. So I recognize that. But I've also wondered for a long time, too, if there wasn't a a more powerful social engineering aspect to reality TV, which prepared us for the idea, the possibility, what if your entire life could be live streamed? You know, what if, and, and I remember a few months ago, in fact, it was uh, Katy Perry. She did like a three day straight live streaming of her of her whole life just to promote her silly album. Um, and so, you know, this is this is. I think obviously social engineering now looking back on it. Um, and uh, one of the things I do at my website and on my channel is I cover books written by globalists themselves, globalism book series, I call it. And one of those guys is Jacques Attalie. And Attalie wrote a book in 2006 where he said, uh, you know, in the next decade, the next 20 years, you're all going to be watching live streams. It's all going to be just live stream life lifestyles. And that's exactly where we are. So he, as as one of these high level ranking, high ranking, uh, you know, global strategist, planner types, CFR, Bilderberg types, you know, here he is saying that this is what's coming is is live streaming. 
and and nobody knew what live streaming was in 2006. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and now here here we are, you know, Katy Perry's uh, live streaming her her entire uh 72 hour you know boring cycle of talking to you know Neil deGrasse Tyson and whoever else whatever other goofballs you talk to it's madness isn't it and it and one of the thing that really points out to me is when when we talk about the Bilderbergs now and we talk about the Masons the Freemasons um it wasn't that long ago that that, that the mainstream media was completely ignoring even the Freemasons even masonry it was only maybe 25 years ago in, in, in this country that they even refused that that was real. That, but now suddenly like the Bilderbergs, oh, yeah, that's real. Yeah, we did lie about that, but that's mm-hmm. real. Yeah, but it's not what you think it is. That, what is the psyop behind that? Because that seems to be like, yeah, OK, Gaslight. we'll let you have that bit, but not the next bit. It's just gaslighting. I mean, you know, I, I, we, we, people are tossing that term around quite a bit lately, but uh, I remember one of the films that really struck me several years ago was when I watched Gaslight for the yeah. first time, which well, I'd, n- I'd never seen. And it's a late forties, uh, neo noir or a noir sort of a George Cukor film. If you've never seen it, definitely, definitely watch Gaslight because, yeah. uh, it's illustrative in the, in the way that the, the con man guy who's trying to, you know, con this, this widow that he's married out of her money and drive her crazy. Uh, he, he wants to induce a dissociative, state he wants to induce a double think state in his target subject his mark this woman played by uh, ingrid bergman and that's exactly what the system does to us to the public that's exactly what the state the corporate state the globalist state that's what they do to the general population is they gaslight to induce a dissociative double mind double think state yeah i totally agree yeah yeah, and, it's, and things like Twitter. Twitter is the, a great example of giving someone just enough rope to, to hang yourself with. You've got a certain amount of characters. Like one of the discussions we had was that you, when you have an argument, it's very quick. When you talk in discussions, yeah. it's a long-winded talk. So Twitter is designed for arguing and gaslighting each other. What would your thoughts be on that? Yes, it's. Uh, I think you know, this was hinted at in 1984. It's the idea of, of limiting and and basically neutralizing the language, making it, uh, it's a retardation of the language basically to where you can't employ any nuance. And if you can't employ nuance in your speech, then you can't think in a nuanced, profound way. You have to basically become an idiot. And I mean, again, twit, you become a twit. I, I, I don't doubt that at times they name these things with the intention of gaslighting you and telling you what it is. You're a twit. (laughs) <laughs> and it is, and it's it's funny, and it is. It's, it, and when, I think because we're maybe a little bit old. I'm not how, how sure how old you are yourself at the moment. I just turned forty. You just turned forty, so I'm thirty-eight. So we're about the same same age. I think it's completely different for us. We can see and also have a bit of humour about this technology. A fourteen-year-old can't. We call them digital natives in the film. They're born mm. like they're born straight plugged into this. Right. Um, what your thoughts I mean, they're, they're, on they're, yeah watch, they'll, they'll probably be a new social media thing that'll come in the future it'll be the thing that maybe replaces all the other ones and they'll probably call it tard <laughs> uh short for retard and nobody will catch it and they'll be like well no it doesn't mean that you know yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it, it'll have all the other features incorporated into one it'll be like facebook and it'll be like twitter and it'll be like you know instagram or whatever and it'll be uh, have you have you talked to me on tard yet <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. 
How do you use tard? <laughs> Have you tarded me this morning? Have I, you t- <laughs> exactly? I mean, it's, it is mayhem, isn't it? And um, but I think with us being a little, a little bit older, we can kind of see it. What worries me is that almost sense of humour is going as well, like that, that ability to kind of look at it and step back from it is 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 completely going they've got it through films what's your take on the music industry i've done a lot of work in 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 looking into investigating the music industry that ties so much into the film industry into but i mean they all go in together Um, and the music the back of the music industry seems to be a lot to do with child trafficking a lot to do with symbolism um satanism um it's all connected um how, how yeah, your sort of thoughts on the music industry and how they kind of put things out in lyrics and and music videos? Yeah, it's definitely related, and and you know I think Amazon was correct to group my book when my book came out. They immediately grouped it. I didn't have any say so in this. But they just stuck it with <laughs> Dave McGowan's book, uh, Weird Scenes Inside the Canyon, which is definitely a great book, classic. Yeah. When it, it, he kind of did for the music genre what my book was aiming at with with film only difference being that he doesn't really talk about symbolism he, he basically just kind of went into the facade of music as counter-revolutionary and he you know he argues that this is really a facade the counter-revolutionary aspects of of, of the music industry were it's were themselves promoted by the industry they were done on purpose and it was for large-scale social engineering, and uh, you know that's that's basically my thesis for for Hollywood as well. And you know, other people have kind of piggybacked off of that too for other genres. People are starting to realize that oh, there was some weird, sketchy aspects to the rise of the punk genre. Um, again, not saying that every artist in any of these yeah. genres is completely mind controlled, or is not saying that. Just saying that what happens is that. Even if a movement might be organic, it pops up as a kind of, you know, authentic artistic expression. What happens is that this the system will watch and they'll uh, they'll steer it. They'll they'll co-opt it and they'll kind of take it in the direction they want it to go. So, you know, Dave's argument is that there were a lot of genuine anti-war artists in the 60s. And what happened was the system saw that and they just kind of co-opted the energy uh, that was that was anti-war into mindless hedonism and, and drug use. And so it became a powerful tool for the promotion of LSD and hardcore hallucinogens and psychedelics through people, uh, you know, like Tim, T- Tim Leary and Ken Kesey and all these other stooges of the establishment, basically. Uh, we know now that, you know, Tim Leary was an obvious uh, uh, asset of, of the CIA and MKUltra. Yeah, his and- job was right. His job was to promote that. And that and that ties directly again into the world of Hollywood so, you know, basically my book has, you know, maybe a, a section or a chapter where it'll, it'll tie into to the music industry. And Dave's book has maybe one section or chapter where it ties into Hollywood. So you can see a clear connection between these two worlds. Uh, again, because it's the exact same. The, the arts, as Plato said a long time ago, have to be controlled for social engineering. Yeah, I totally agree. And and. Um, what is your take on, I know I'm bouncing all over the place, but your knowledge is so widespread, I just want to touch on different things. This situation right now where you've got this Michael Jackson documentary that's just come out, you've got R. Kelly being put into the mainstream news and, and for what the things that he seems to have done or maybe not have done. But at the very same time, you've got Harvey Weinstein's case being seen yesterday and put back and not reported on at all. And that seems to be, to me, a kind of psyop of 
how can you not report on him but you've got so much attention going on these other two things that it seemed contrived to me not to say that anyone's guilty or not guilty but it seems well timed to me especially when the Oprah's connection and the Dave Geffen connection and Steven Spielberg and Dave Geffen do Dreamstone together there seems to be a very well timed lot of information come out in the mainstream media to cover up the Weinstein type thing that's going on yeah I I tend to think that a lot of times the, they will put out stories that will deflect from real issues certainly so i i tend to think that what was really going on was you know backdoor like child abuse type stuff and so what they wanted to do was deflect it into you know hashtag me too and this kind of stuff which you know i'm not saying people weren't assaulted or whatever that that rape doesn't happen that women aren't don't have their butts grabbed or whatever Mm. but i mean don't you think there's more (laughs) serious issues than than and and what happened was you know a lot of those those viper type people jumped on this as an opportunity to further themselves uh you know that's just what they do so i think that a lot of those stories that come out again are just deflections from from the real dark stuff that relates to the kids and whatnot yeah probably that's probably what the real the real issue is um i've not seen the the michael jackson documentary yet but i but um you know i think everybody's kind of known about the r kelly stuff for a long time too so I think that we're just going to keep seeing more and more of these, these, uh, these stories coming out because uh, there's not just a, the spiritual aspect. There certainly is the spiritual aspect to the child abuse stuff, uh, but there's also a blackmail aspect to it because if you if you've got that kind of dirt on people, you can more easily control what they do. Yeah, and we have that that goes into Parliament here. Not too long ago, I think it was about 2013, right. we had the um, thing about Edward Heath and the child abuse in Parliament. That went nowhere. Yes, it was closed yeah. door on it. There was a guy called um, Tom Watson who took up it in Parliament, and he he feigned. In my my thing, my belief is feigned to go like I'm going to investigate this. I'm going to look at this. Something's being done. Nothing came out of it. There was a whole dossier that, that Theresa May, who now is the Prime Minister, had and apparently lost. This was all. Um, and then she becomes Prime Minister not too long ago. Um, and um, Edward Heath is named in it. Um, who's the other guy? I can't. Uh, well, obviously, Jimmy Savile was, was one of the main ones. But you, that Cyril goes back Smith. In, Cyril Smith real... is the guy, yep. Edward Heath is the guy that took us into um, the EU. Um, right. He's meant to be a serial killer and serial paedophile. David Icke's outed him for years in his book when he was alive and nothing... He never got. It wasn't as if they tried to sue David Light for saying this. They just ignored it. Um, these things are so deep and it's so dark that people, I think, have a cognitive dissonance and don't want to look at it. So no matter how stuff is much is going to come out, I think there's going to be a large portion of people that just don't want to know about it. It's horrible. Well, that's one of the means by which that angle that dark side of the power structure can get away with what they do is because of people not wanting to go there and humans tend to want to assume that that's not going on they want to assume that everybody else is is, oh i would never do that so maybe they would never do that either and i think too if people are confronting that kind of stuff it kind of forces them whether they want to or not to recognize the existence of, of evil objective evil exists Quite obviously, if that's true, and most people don't want to believe in the reality of objective spiritual evil, um, because that would again force them to 
like we talked about at the beginning of the talk, question their presuppositions and their paradigm. Yeah, and their heroes as well. Oh yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, we we yeah the, you know the the rock star, the movie star, that was all engineered. Uh, that was a an, a thing that was studied, and they figured out how to create the star. There's a giant machinery, as you know, that goes into the creation of you know Taylor Swift, the pop star, um, and that machinery has a lot of money invested in it. And a lot of people invest their energy and their time and their attention into these people. Uh, and they become, they become in a, in a way, uh, gods of the cult, right? yeah. gods of the cult of, of modernity, of entertainment, whatever. And so people, yeah, they, of course they don't want to, to have their gods, uh, shown to be false. I think this is a really good point that, um, when you came back, you said earlier about the Harvey Weinstein and people just jumped ship. There was a straight, jump from Oprah Winfrey over to he's I mean it's clear that they were friends for a long time same with Meryl Streep it was a clear jump um mm -hmm. I can't see how people can't see that so to me again there's a cognitive dissonance there um yeah, of that I mean that was pretty clear wasn't it that that, that was a she jumped she threw him under the bus you're speaking about Oprah or Meryl Streep? Oprah, um, um, in that sense, was Oprah. But I, I think Meryl Streep was also part of that Me Too movement that probably has more to do with the problems than the solutions, in my opinion. Right. Well, we've seen a lot of crazy stuff. I mean, you know, did you see the stuff related to John of God? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, of course I did. Yeah, yeah. it was early, late last year. I mean, she was promoting him in mid-90s of this mate, this saviour. And then he's got, is it Baby Farms that she's doing? He's having women there just to produce Allegedly, babies. Allegedly, yeah, and then yeah. The, the woman who was, was saying this is suicided. She turns up uh, supposedly committing suicide, yeah. the woman who was making the allegation. So, yeah, and that was reported in the Spanish uh, mainstream media. But uh, it looks like they did arrest him for uh, accusations and allegations of sexual assault. So, you know, it's probably true. I can't, I can't say that they're for sure was or wasn't a baby farm but you know this is something that was going on a long time during it was bantered about during the satanic panic as something that existed breeders and all that and everybody said oh that's just complete nonsense so it would be it would be interesting if this was a, a full-on vindication of that reality if that really did exist I, I think that it is true I think that does exist um because it's, it seems consistent with the rest of the pattern of how the system, you know, utilizes things like uh, what we've seen with the baby parts being sold, you know, by certain yeah. uh, organizations, Planned Parenthood, stuff like that. Uh, it would seem consistent that they would have baby farms. So I don't doubt that that exists, but it was interesting to see how quickly that aspect of the, the story, which you know is pretty sensationalist, was was kind of shut down. And it, the Planned Parenthood thing as well is is very interesting. It's um, the the what was it? The one of the founders is Bill Gates, one of the the lead names. It was Bill, Bill Gates, Gates' dad. Bill Gates's dad was a yeah one of the founding people in that, and uh, Catherine Hepburn was very uh, heavily involved in it. And yeah, it ties back to to Margaret Sanger as well, which is terrifying, really. If you think they put people like Bill Gates in the positions do you think that this is this is how it works they put these type of people in positions of power because that's they're, they're almost like lifetime actors uh, i don't necessarily use the lifetime actor term because i think that people really are 
doing these things. They're not playing a role. They, I mean, in a sense, they're kind of prepped for this, but this is kind of the way that, you know, societies before the modern world, you know, they would they would raise a person to be a statesman. They would raise a person to be a king or, or you know, you, you, you in a class society, you were raised to be a noble as opposed to, you know, being the guy who was the baker or the, the candlestick maker or whatever. So it's not they're not actors if they're actually being that person and raised to be in that role. So I think that that people are kind of prepped for that. Yes. But I don't think they're actors. They really are that. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's a very, very interesting, strange world we, we live in. So if there's one thing, Jay, that you'd like the listener to understand about the world they live in, what would it be? How how would you explain that to them? Uh, say that again? Like if, what, if there's one there's thing one you'd like to take away that might change the way they look at the world, what is the a bit of sort of advice? How would you like to, what you'd like them to learn from, from the work Ooh. that you do? What is the one thing that I would tell people to take away? Hmm, that's a great question. It's hard to pull it down to one yeah. thing. Yes, this is a bunch of things. Um, I would say probably the most important thing might be to question your presuppositions. Are you willing to question yourself? And it might be a fearful thing at the outset, you might be a little reticent to do, to do so because you know, humans just don't typically want to do that. We want to, we want to feel like we have it all figured out. We're right. We don't like, nobody likes being wrong, but you become a better person, a stronger person. Your life actually, your quality of living increases when you're willing to challenge yourself and question your presuppositions. And that's kind of what, what I'm dedicated to doing. I think that's the, the same thing as well. Um, is, is condemnation without investigation is the, the height of ignorance, and, and that was something that I've I've kind of lived by when I, when I investigate these things. It's just mm-hmm. to question everything and including your own beliefs. And um, I think that's, thank you for your time, Jay, because I know you're a busy man, and I really appreciate it. Is there um, anywhere that people can find your work, your books, uh, your videos? Uh, yeah, my, my YouTube channels. You can just search my name, and you'll find it, and then uh, definitely. Follow uh, Jay's analysis. You can subscribe to the to the um, archives and all that at my website. Uh, I keep it pretty cheap, four ninety five a month, and uh, the books are also available there at the website. And I do ship outside the U.S., so uh, don't get it from Amazon. Amazon kind of undercuts the authors, but if you get the books from me, uh, I'll sign it and uh, I'll draw you a little pretty picture, and it'll be it'll be personalized. So. Yeah, that's great, and um. Thank you for your time, Jay. I really appreciate it. And I'd love to do this again at some point. Um, and yeah, this has been Glitch in the Code with Jay, from, um, Jay Dye from Jay's Analysis. Um, it's been brilliant. I'd really admire your work, how much you've managed to pull together in, in your website. So if you go to his website and you'll find so much information, I mean, it's, it's on an incredible level. Well, yeah, I got censored, you know, by WordPress. Oh, did you? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and so actually what I've been having to do is kind of repair, because I had about a 1,000 articles and oh, posts wow. uh, on the website, and when it got nuked by WordPress, I'm having to basically rebuild the whole thing. So I've got a lot of them. I've got several hundred fixed, but uh, there's several hundred more to go. So I'm just kind of doing it like day by day where it's <laughs> I'm restoring, you know, three, four, five, ten, ten uh, old essays or articles, you know, every day. So. Oh, Christ. How, what, what happened there then? Uh, it was just during a period period where they were purging uh, any of the alt media sites, 
and they were doing that to everybody yeah well that's a story in itself isn't it well thank you jay thank you for your time and i'd love to speak to you again soon and um and please follow jay's work because it is incredible and do question everything question everything that we even that we say that we investigate because this is an ongoing discussion and we're all trying to get to the same place i believe and we're all trying to do the same the right thing and it's it's, it's a process isn't it so thank you jay for your time i appreciate it mate take care yourself bye-bye you too bye